Welcome to the audio-only version of this week's pop-up submission show. I hope you enjoy it. We love you to join us for the live show on YouTube every Sunday at 5pm UK time. YouTube.com slash Litopia. Actually, she's one of Britain's most awesome children's publishers. Please put your virtual hands together for the astonishing Bella Pearson. Yes, absolutely. And of equal merit, I would say, actually. You've seen him on TV reporting the national news and now you can see him here disporting his reading views i hope you like that it scans doesn't it yeah it's andy dickinson how fabulous and oh look this just in this is from ben thank you very much we review your manuscripts you review us sounds fair ben says find the show really helpful great kind of stuck not happy with the opening and the guy's idea on where to start etc have really helped good so for me it's worth every penny and i will definitely be paying for the priority submission yes do please again i'm now also a fan of the show and will be tuning in thank you ben very very good to hear that much appreciate that now this is how things stand this month so far um and it tends i don't know why it just tends to be for reasons i actually really don't know that the very first show in every month which is last week's show tends to be an absolute stormer and it was last week definitely with becky rush's upmarket historical fiction number one on the list there a respectable sin it achieved several perfect 100 scores from uh, from our guests giving her an awesome average 83 out of 100 going to be very very hard to beat but you know what i think some people today are going to try and here's our first submission of the day straight on straight on look at that title look at that title nutters are human too this is ya slash na which i take to be near adult but i may be corrected on that by the genius room or indeed of course by by bella possibly in a few moments by brendan o'callaghan and this is brendan's blurb plucked from death by a stranger frank is given a chance of life of a life he's longed for since his parents abandoned him all right let me tell you about our author Brandon. Um, short and sweet, I have 20 years experience of working with young adults who have enduring mental health problems. Very increasingly common, I think, at the moment. Lockdown and so on. I have always wanted to write a novel, says Brandon, but life has just got in the way. All right, well, let's see if we can give you a helping hand and no better start than a reading from John. Nutters are human too. By Brendan O'Callaghan Read by John Chapter 1 Frank died at 11 years old and for the next 8 years he was kept alive against his will on a diet of care homes, neglect and depression. When society deemed him no longer a burden he was cast aside, flicked into the gutter with the other detritus and this is where our story begins just when it should have ended. Slouched in his bed, he squirmed, gazing up at the expanse of our text dripping off the ceiling. Mesmerised, his mind drifted as he was sucked in, following the lines as they swirled and twirled, faster and faster. His head spun and throbbed, gripping the quilt until it ended. Sitting up, a tired photo lay, minding its own business by the, his bedside lamp. Reaching out, his hand wavered before grabbing it. 
His finger brushed the surface like he was painting an old masterpiece. His eyes glossed over. Why, Mum? Since you left, it's been no life, really. It hasn't. Being passed from one set of foster parents to another. Standing up, he focused ahead. Anything to avoid his pathetic reflection in the mirror. A reminder of what he'd become, sending a shudder through him. Looking around his flat, his head started to drop. In the chaos, a white envelope stood out. Rubbing the thick paper between his fingers, he inhaled deeply. A still smell met his nostrils, wrinkling his nose, but things weren't always like this. Tapping it in his palm, he pondered his next move. Groaning, he placed it clearly on the grubby windowsill. Some money jangled in his pocket, distracting him. He fished it out, tutting to himself. Glancing at his flat one last time, he stumbled over the threshold, then yanked the door, pausing before pushing his keys back through the letterbox. He headed towards Gino's. By now the evening had a wildness about it. The silhouette of Clifton Suspension Bridge loomed large on the horizon, casting a spell on him. The leaves swarmed like swifts dancing, and the trees waved, leading the way. Before long, Frank sat at Gino's, waiting to be served. Hey Frank, how are you this day? You have a your usual boss? Yeah, okay. You all right, Frankie? You seem how you say in English, a bit shitty. No, I'm all right. Just another day for me. Hey Frank, you have a coke on me. Yeah, boss, said Gino, slamming down the can while emitting a faint whiff of garlic. Slumped in his seat, he chewed his nails and his heart started to race. Voila, Frank, one margarita pizza. His jaw dropped. The pizza was a pathetic facsimile of the picture on the wall. Dissecting it, he gazed at the greasy blob on his fork. Swallowing it, his eyes went glassy as it slid down, threatening to return. After some time, he stood up. Remembering the weather, he hunched his shoulders and zipped his jacket up. It was calm. Relaxing, the trees stood to attention, standing over the sleeping leaves. The sun had dipped below the horizon. Frank shuffled along the lonely road with his head dropped. A fresh breeze whispered on his face, kissing him, and filling his nostrils with the scent of freshly cut grass. Gasping, am I making the right choice? It's not too late. Night beckoned, transforming the bridge with its lights. Suspended above the abyss of the gorge, it hovered like an illusion. Dragging his feet, he shoveled past a sign, shielding his eyes. Samaritans, talk to us any time, night or day. 0845-790-9090. Frowning, he concentrated hard until his head throbbed. He'd reached the centre of the bridge. The background noise had reduced to a distant mumble, and the bridge lights twinkled to him, waiting for an answer. Looking up and down, this was it. No more backing out. Tugging his mobile out, he stalled for time, extending his arm, pretending to take a selfie. His forehead glistened and his breathing increased. The railing was about 1.5 metres tall, made of fine mesh. Smiling, he didn't envisage a problem. However, the attached suicide barrier made him grimace, comprising of a series of five horizontal cables, each more overhanging. Right, so before we get stuck into this one, I just want to check with both our guests that you're comfortable with our new voting system. Is that is that good with you, Bella? Are you um Yes, on, I can't remember. Page? No, I'm not at all on the voting page, sorry. Yeah, no, okay. Um do you have a link to it? I should have checked this beforehand. Have you got a link to it? Yeah. I'm sorry, I probably do somewhere. I can I can email you a link if you want. Yeah, would you mind? It's not I'll right. Do that. Not I can say yeah. out loud yeah. I did this before. Yeah, I know. Andy, are you okay with the new voting system? Yes, I have voting. Oh, you voted? Oh, in that case, 
literally while reminding you. Wow. Yes, you have. You can see, you can see your numbers there. All right. Give us give us a rationale behind behind those numbers, please, Andy. Um. Uh, I, I mean, the subject matter is is something not to be taken lightly. Obviously. Yeah. Um, exactly. Odd, 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 really oddly enough, I'm just catching up reading the Midnight Library. Yeah. In fact, I've only read the first few chapters, which are kind of chapters that lead up to someone committing suicide, which mm. is obviously what we have here in kind of yeah. um, you know short form. Um, I don't know what I'm more scared of, to be honest. My, my, my new close-up that I'm seeing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. It's just a shirt. It's a shirt. I'll try and get over that. As a title, I'm not. I'm not. It is. It's quite. It is a witty, clever title, but nutters just doesn't sit quite right to me. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. not totally sure why. I, I had a friend who was always walking around saying, "Well, we're all nutters, aren't we?" And it, it just—I don't know. And that was a long time ago, so I don't know whether it's because it feels it's old-fashioned, or, or it's got a, a slightly kind of comedic kind of tinge to it, considering the subject matter. But, but it, I don't know. It, it wasn't mm. quite winning with me. The blurb was a bit too short. I think. I think if your blurb's going to be that short, it's got to be—you've got to have something really original and distinctive to hook yeah. someone in. Yeah, and I don't think that was quite. Yeah, I, I, it oh, is a bit oh. disturbing in terms of the subject matter, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Craft-wise, I mean, I thought there's some good good writing here. It starts out with quite an almost like second by second. He sees this, he sees that. We're really in yeah. the thick of his yeah. depressed mind, yeah. um, which, which is fine. And then suddenly we went out for a pizza, and I was quite surprised. Uh, well, I was surprised that we started eating the pizza, and then and then we were, he was quickly walking again. Um, so, so whereas the pace was really slowly up to it, suddenly it sped up dramatically between that. And I'm afraid. I mean, have, I've got a friend who lives in Bristol, so I've been over Clifton oh. Suspension Bridge yeah. quite often. And as soon as you wrote Clifton Suspension Bridge, cast you know a spell on him. You, you kind of yeah. know what's going to happen yeah. next. You do. You do. You do. You do. Okay, so. Bella, um, I've just um, in the um, in the little uh, three-way chat that we've got. I've just sent you a link. I don't know if you can Thank see you. that. Yeah, um, but if you've got problems with the voting, just give me give me um, tell me directly, and I can enter it for you. So let, let's just yeah, see well, how that I'll works. Yeah, I'll tell you directly because I can't get the link at the moment. Um, okay. I think forty for the title because I, I agree. I don't like the word natters i don't think it's yeah i mean yeah. I, I can see why it's being used and i presume there's heavy um irony there there's a, it's it's not yes there's a reason for using it which is a shock factor but i'm not yeah. sure it it depends what the book is about yeah. i suppose at the end yeah. um i think blurb again i wanted to know more because it's hard to tell actually from the beginning exactly what where where this book is going um yeah. and I, I thought the writing was good so sorry title 40 blurb 40 uh, I'd give the craft sixty and the bang forty. Okay, okay. Let's, um, let's just let's just translate that, those back into stars, and then we we do the calculation of this end. So, in terms of stars for for title, what are you going to give it? Uh, two. Two. Okay, and for the blurb. Two. Two, and for the craft, writing Three. craft itself. Three, and finally the bang, which is the commercial appeal. Um, I would say. Two as well. Two as well, yeah, okay, right. So 
that's just hopefully just gone up there yes it has actually the system is working wow um i just want to to ask you a, a, about a lot actually about this um the obviously brendan knows what he's talking about um he's worked in this area for 20 years and probably done amazingly good work um so in terms of suicide generally we're starting the show on a bit of a downer, aren't we? Suicide generally for the sort of YA or NA, which I understand from the Genius Room actually stands for new adult, not near adult. I got that wrong. It's new adult. Um, what's what's the general vibe in the trade? It's a difficult subject or what? It is a difficult subject, but it's certainly one that's been written about and should be written about because obviously it's something that yeah. you know happens and it's so important to talk about these things. And I've worked on a middle grade book that's been about suicide, and yet I think what's um, the way I see it is that it, the way you talk about it is very important. And this is very, I, I couldn't quite work out to start with why this is particularly young adult, actually. It felt very no, adult to me. It did. Um, yeah, there was yeah. no sense of, of uh, yeah. sort of young teen um, kind yeah. of protagonist. This, it was very much an adult um, protagonist, in my yeah. view. Um, and I think being so overt and starting off like that is perhaps um, an off-putting way to start a book about suicide for young adults. But I do yeah. think it's a really important subject. And yeah. I think the writing, some of the writing was really lovely. I think it could have been, it could move on and there are, are, are things to do there. But um, I, I absolutely think it should be written about. But perhaps starting off like that um, yeah. is, is not necessarily the right way. Yeah, yeah. So the title, the title, I just want to ask you about that. I mean... One of the great beauties, one of the many beauties of YA, actually, is it does take risks, and yeah. it will address controversial subjects. I mean, it's often been in the forefront by a matter of years, sometimes, just dealing with stuff that, you know, grown-up publishing won't go near. And I think that's yeah. one of the most, one of the many endearing things there is really about children's YA publishing. Actually, the other, of course, is the fact that people who work in it generally are really enthusiastic. They love what they do. <laughs> There's very little cynicism in the area. I just, I just love it. Um, but I just wonder um, if, you know, if this is something that you see as a trend. Do you think, I mean, there's been a lot of mental health issues over lockdown. Do you think we're going to be seeing more books in this area? Quite possibly, quite possibly. Yeah. And I do think it really needs to be talked about and brought into the sort of yeah. arena more and, and as much as possible. But yeah. um, there's definitely, a, a, yeah, it's, it's the way it's approached. I think you can write about anything for young adults. And what about the title? Because that is supposed yeah. to be provocative, deliberately provocative. You didn't like it, I didn't like it, but... What do you think? It, yeah, it's tricky because I'm sure there will be people who like it. There were a few, quite a few comments popping up about they like people yeah. liking it. So, um, yeah. you know, and obviously you're taking it on a, a, a many levels. So, you know, yeah. But I didn't personally like it. I, I, yeah. I don't publish something. I, I didn't either. I thought it was a bit offensive, but I think it's supposed to be uh, controversial. The Genius Room did go for it, actually. They've given it a 70. Most people are not that big on the blurb. Most people, almost to a person, have given uh, the, the writing craft about 60. And that means that, Brendan, you've come out with a 51 uh, in total, which is nothing to be ashamed of. Thank you very much for starting the show off. We move on to our second submission. Make a priority submission. Priority.latopia.com <laughs> There we go. This is from Edwin. 
It's history. Oh, is QR code there too? I love it when uh, when you send us a QR code because we can direct our viewers to your website or your Twitter stream or whatever it is really you, you want people to go to. So please do, a little bit of free advertising for you. It's, it's called Jerusalem, the story of a song. Mm. I know that song. I wonder if our non-UK uh, viewers will know it. We'll find out in a minute. This is Edwin's blurb. Edwin Lerner tells the story of Jerusalem from its origins as a poem by William Blake, which was turned into a patriotic song in the First World War and is now sung every year at the last night of the proms. Beloved by radicals and patriots alike, it's been a suffragette hymn. was used by Hollywood and the movies and features at sporting events and political meetings. Come with him to find out about those who created England's unofficial national anthem. Well, we do have a national anthem, but that's an unofficial one. It does sound interesting. Let me um, let me tell you about Edwin. I'm a tourist guide, says Edwin, and writer with a few articles and a couple of books to my name on tourism and travel. At present, resting, for obvious reasons, no tourists. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, I wish to concentrate on writing, always first love, but not a very lucrative one. The style I'm aiming for is similar to that of writers like Bill Bryson and Hunter Davis. Good thing to aim for. Informed, but non-academic, entertaining and readable. It sounds to me very much as if we should give you a reading by Robert. Jerusalem, the story of a song by Edwin, read by Robert. The Tate Gallery was rather clunkily renamed Tate Britain after the opening of its cousin Tate Modern further down the Thames in the year 2000. It was originally founded as the National Gallery of British Art, but many visitors still think of it simply as the Tate, named after its founder, Sir Henry Tate, who had made his fortune by importing sugar to satisfy the Victorian love of sweetness. He sold people sugar lumps to add to our tea and set up the company which later became Tate and Lyle one of Britain's best-known brand names. The monosyllabic name of the gallery led to the late Clive James wittily punning about meeting up for a tete-a-tete -tete at the Tate in a point-of-view talk on BBC Radio 4. The Tate, as we shall call it, opened an exhibition of the works of William Blake in 2019, which proved very popular with the tea and in increasingly these days, coffee, drinking British, who had come to appreciate him both as a poet and painter long after his death. The ancestors of these exhibition-goers showed little interest in Blake when he was alive, and the Tates tried to make up for this by recreating the only exhibition of his work held during his lifetime. Blake had used a room above his brother's shop in Soho to display his paintings in 1809, but hardly anybody came, and it received only one scathing review in the press. The review was in a publication, long since defunct, called The Examiner, and was written by James Hunt, who had founded the magazine together with his brother, the better-known Lee Hunt. Hunt rubbished Blake's work and described him as an unfortunate lunatic whose professional inoffensiveness secures him from confinement. He goes on to describe the catalogue that Blake had produced for the exhibition as a farrago of nonsense, unintelligibleness and egregious vanity, the wild effusions of a distempered brain. A judgment like this severely tests the theory that there is no such thing as bad publicity. 
It is safe to say that James Hunt's dismissal of Blake did not bring him any business, and that he was doomed to be a prophet without honour in his own land, at least during his lifetime. Some consolation for Blake's admirers, however, comes from the fact that history has all but forgotten Hunt, who is only remembered for this one review, while Blake is now lionised. The Tate exhibition, which added to an already considerable lionisation, supplied a booklet including introducing visitors to the works of Blake. In the middle was a map showing the various homes he had occupied in London. There were nine of these in all, only one of which, in South Malton Street, is still standing. They indicate a man who worked hard to keep a roof over his head, but never made enough to put down roots and do what most British people hope to do once they have established themselves, own their own home. The first of these houses was in Broadwick Street, in Soho, where William Blake was born on the 28th of November 1757, the third child of James Blake and his wife Catherine. Blake's family background was hard-working and non-conformist. His father was a hosier, a maker of socks and stockings, and his mother looked after the family, kept house, and brought up the five of their seven children who survived infancy, a fairly good average in the crowded and insanitary conditions of 18th century London. Although the family were not members of the Church of England, religion was important to the Blakes, and William was baptised in the nearby St James's Church, Piccadilly. This is the only church in the West End of London designed by the city's most famous architect, Christopher Wren, and it also has the curious distinction of having the only plastic spire in central London, the original destroyed by a German bomb during the Blitz in 1940. All right, so now then Matt has made it up. <laughs> Do we scare you, Bella? Sorry, yes. Oh, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> it was probably um, Martin's um, uh, reading that um, that was lulling you into a very nice, relaxed sort of alpha state, you know, probably. Yeah. Um, I was just going to going to say, but I, don't let me uh, disturb you. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say. Um, Matt in YouTube has uh, said, I don't know what, what on earth is going on about. What is this this thing, Jerusalem? And it made me realise actually a lot of uh, a lot of non-UK viewers and readers potentially, which, which could limit the international sales potentially, don't know what, what we're talking about. So uh, Jerusalem was originally a poem. It was a, it was a uh, frontispiece, I think, to one of Blake's works. Blake himself was 18, no, no, uh, 17th, 18th century mystic, artist, poet, um, extraordinary person, really. I, I saw visions, sketched, drew um, ghosts of fleas and things like that. And he wrote he wrote this this quite short poem um, that starts and did those feet and basically it's about did Jesus come to the UK, which is kind of an old medieval legend. No proof it happened, but that was kind of the idea of it as very it was set to music i think in the middle of the last century no actually middle of the 19th century i believe i'm pushing my um, my knowledge here and it's quite interesting i think i think the story is from my point of view how someone like blake who was a rebel he challenged authority he was very much against empire actually uh very much against empire house a poem that he wrote and was then set to music then became adopted by i think it's fair to say the right wing and the extreme right wing 
in in political Britain to sort of epitomise everything that's best about about Britain. So you've got that very interesting sort of dichotomy between the man himself, the mystic, his own political situation, and what actually has happened to his work. To me, that is the story. I don't know if I've made any sense there, have I? No, not at all. Good, <laughs> excellent, great. All right, let's put Andy on the spot then. <laughs> Find out what he thinks. Sorry, that was too easy. Um, I know. <laughs> I, no, I, I think um, Edwin, I mean, look, from, from, from Peter's passion and knowledge of the subject, um, I'd say, I mean, you are on to somewhat of a winner with mm. subject matter. And, and I think, you know, Jerusalem, I mean, I, one thing I always think about is the Jerusalem, the royals really like it, don't they? And they it do. gets played out an awful lot of royal oh, weddings, yes. that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, and, you know. As, and as you said in the, the blurb, the, you know, the, we, 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 it is an anthem for the nation in a sense and I don't know much about its history I can't say I'm that interested in it but a story about it might well be interesting um, and, and, and when I heard you were a tourist guide I thought well that, that could be good because you could yeah. have actually a really light breezy you know quirky voice to take it through us as you you, yeah. you, you sometimes have tourist guides too unfortunately what you have is really heavy with facts hmm. uh, and and you know it's literally every sentence is fact 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 and none of it to this point is about jerusalem yeah and i would yeah. say to do this first yeah. off i think you need to start with a song a little bit uh, even like you've done in your yeah blurb. of course you do of course uh, you, you know, do tracy tell us about the importance of this song remind us of the importance of this song before yeah. you go through history um, you know, you've got you've got great knowledge. Your line about you know, uh, 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 Tate, you know, satisfied the the Victorian love of sugar, is good. Mm. But rather telling us about Blake or the song at the start, you've you've basically told us about the Tate Museum, and then you've That's done right. you've dropped in Clive James, and, and and I love Clive James, but I wouldn't say that's his best gag. And no, also, I think not. if you're doing that, you're you're inviting a compa a comparison that is going to be nigh on impossible to live up to. Yeah. So I'd be wary of all that. I do think there is. Uh, I, I do think you have an interesting topic. Again, I point to what what Pete just did to, to say actually you do you really really do have an interesting topic, and and some of the language is nice. But I I try to make it lighter, and I try to start more about the song. I, I couldn't disagree with the word of that actually and ah, uh, uh, it's just gone by too quickly I'm just like oh uh, yeah Vagabond Vagabond Heart in the uh, genius room here is, um, it's worth reading everything that's being said that's highly relevant um, Vagabond Heart says Jerusalem that's the, the poem and the song really was a scathing indictment of the industrial age and its horrors and it was actually yes because it, it contrasted the green and pleasant land with what it later became so it was very political in, in its day. Bella, how did you react to that? Yeah, I mean I, I thought, I really loved the title, I really mm. I mm. thought it was great. Um, blurb, you know, I, it was an interesting and, you know, it's, uh, just having from what, hearing what you're all talking, you've just been both been talking about, it's such a fascinating topic, I think. Isn't it? And there's yeah. so much in it. Mm. And actually, I think it could be a, a fabulous book, but mm. I felt, yes, where it started wasn't right and I couldn't work out how the structure was going to play out. It would be interesting to know how how the story is going to be told and in order to do that you sort of need it set out at the beginning i think and the other thing that really occurred to me is the enlivening of 
occasions and you can i mean there are with history books i always find i mean i don't read too many of them so obviously you've got to um, take that bear that in mind but you always if it's enlivened by real life sort of moments or um quotes or something that brings it into focus and visualizes it for you uh, rather than the rather dry way of telling i think that's yeah. that's really important and as a tour guide i'm sure that's what he's doing all the time uh, in real yeah. life so it's yeah. like making sure that that's really coming out as well that sort of yeah. um the the touches that make it human to us um, and believable to us as well yeah absolutely i, I agree and edwin the thing is the what you what's happening really is you you're just i think you're just putting the blue badge stuff in here because you know you've got to sit uh you know in front of the the tight mod and you say no ladies and gentlemen here we are standing in front of the tight mod and this you know and you give us two or three minutes history and we're sort of looking around oh, that's interesting but you can't rewrite like that it's you know there's different different tools necessary i think it's it's a great idea i really think it's a great idea i think i think you know if it's treated in in the way that you want to treat it bill bryson yes <laughs> absolutely that's a total winner mm. but it's not that easy to write like bill bryson that's the thing that's the challenge can be done though it can be done let's see how the numbers look um yeah and that just says or matt just said the most interesting subject can become dull if not treated properly bella's put her finger on it says martin galadriel says might have done better putting jerusalem in context of blake's contemporaries i think so too because he actually spanned the the end of the uh, 7th, uh 18th century actually and 19th um so we are looking at 56 there edwin and uh the high spot for you is basically the idea people like the title bella's given it 80 and is giving it 60 i've given it 60 at the moment Julius room is a little bit lower than that i think this is a commercial idea i think this could get published the international potential not so sure depends really on the execution but i think i think it could do well it's worth sticking with and it's worth learning some of the basic tricks you've got to learn in order to carry this off when you join our weekly huddle, certain things happen. Now, not that. Bring your writing, your book titles, your blurbs, anything really, for expert okay. and right. sympathetic right. input. Okay. In confidence. Other websites charge a fortune for this kind of thing. In Latopia, the oldest community for writers on the net is included in your modest subscription. Latopia, we're here for you. All right, here we go. Straight on submission number three out of five today. It's from Izzy. It's upmarket commercial fiction. None of your downmarket riffraff. Oh, no. It's upmarket. Fantastic. QR code is... How am I going to say this? I'm going to say wolf. I'm going to say wolf. I think that's wolf. And this is Izzy's blurb. Cleo never meant to start a cult. She lives in a warehouse full of the perfect reconstructions of dead people's rooms her business the warehouse of lost friends allows her clients to keep the dwellings of their lost loved ones when they're not ready to let go but the relationship between cleo her clients and the wolf itself takes an unexpected path and she realizes she's out of her depth it's hot milk meets the binding with a touch of fight club I know that touch of fight club. Let me tell you about Izzy. I'm a 30-year-old freelance copywriter. It does sound spooky, doesn't it now? Um, and ghostwriter. Um, how appropriate. Such a slightly ghostly story, ghostwriter. Hmm. Uh, with a degree in social anthropology from Goldsmiths. Uh, with my ghost hat on, 
I've written two non-fiction books that have done well in the UK charts and been translated into more than 20 languages. Very good. Uh, without the ghost out, my very short stories have been published in Pop Shot magazine and Open Pen. Uh, and getting my own novels published has always been the dream. In 2018, I moved from London to the Mid-Pyrenees in France. Pyrenees, I did say... I, I, some, sometimes it just sounds like pair of knees to me. Mid-Pyrenees. Uh, where I spend a lot of time chasing my two young kids up mountains and trying really hard not to adopt any more stray cats. Oh, how very writerly of you. <laughs> you've, just, you've just proved you're a writer through and through, actually, Izzy. And uh, we're going to do the best we can with a fabulous reading from Barbara. Wolf by Izzy Arcalillo, read by Barbara. The leak in the roof had been keeping Cleo up for days. There was no time to think about it now, with the bell already clanging and the door still triple locked. But it was hard to put out of her mind. A leak in the roof was a hole in the roof, and a hole anywhere would need to be fixed. The warehouse must be a safe space. One, two, three locks, nearly open, but still a moment to smooth a plain shirt. The first visit was always a worry, but she had to remember it would be more overwhelming for him than it would be for her. The small door, for people, was cut out of the big door, for everyone else, and it swung eagerly on its hinges. Hello, she said. Bruno? It's good to see you. Hi, he said. He stood way back, too far, reluctance radiating from the shades of his face, which was more grey and more lined than the last time she'd seen him. Who are you? he asked, and she replied, Cleo. No, I remember, of course. I said, how are you? Sorry, she said, and smoothed her shirt again. She moved a bundle of door keys in her hand and hid her quiet, and well, thanks, in the clink of metal on metal. My sister's in the car, Bruno told her. Is it okay if she comes in too? Of course it was okay. Whatever was best for him. So he gestured to the tinted windows of the car and the sister, so like him, stepped out. Her grief was less glaring, disguised as it was by a warm, reassuring smile, as if Cleo was the one in need of reassurance. But Cleo's well-tuned gaze could see it beneath the surface, a sadness in the stoop of the shoulders and a shallow dam across eyes that were surely as deep as the smile, usually. I'm Rita, said the sister. Cleo recognised her from a photo on the wall, but there was no need to mention that. A breeze carried the scent of grass and wet earth through the doorway. Shiver. Time to come in. If you're ready, let's go straight there, Cleo said. She led them down the sixth corridor, lined by single-storey rows of rooms with mismatched doors. Rita fell into step beside her while Bruno followed behind. The top of the corridor opened out into the cavernous heights of the warehouse ceiling and the huge skylight drew their eyes upwards, as it always did. Outside light flooded in, even on a dull day like this. Bruno's footsteps dragged a little and the sound made Cleo's heart hurt. But Rita's steps were clean and certain and the tread of her boots bounced lightly around the building. They both stayed close and Cleo was glad of that because new clients were hard to trust until they learned to trust the wolf. Let them be, she thought. Don't talk unless you have to. Let them arrive, adjust, acclimatise. This was the wolf, and it took some getting used to. Cleo spent every day here, and yet the skin on her neck still prickled every time she walked into a room. Someone was breathing over her shoulder, or she imagined that someone was breathing over her shoulder. When they reached Bruno's room, Cleo unclipped a single key and held it out to him. 
He didn't move. Want me to open it? Asked Rita. Bruno did want that, and it was fine with Cleo, so Rita unlocked the door. She glanced inside and gasped, the kind of gasp that steadied Cleo's beating heart until it thudded to a resonant pride. The room was all right. The glance was as far as Rita would go today. She stood back beside Cleo. So strangely easy, Cleo thought, to stand shoulder to shoulder with this particular stranger. And Bruno went in alone. Rita leaned in even closer and whispered, It's amazing. It's exactly right. Just how she left it. Cleo nodded. Her work was restricted by the confines of space, but she did what she could with what she had. And that seems to like that, live on YouTube. Let's just have a look and see what um, our genii in uh, Lotopia's Genius Room think. In fact, excellent reading today, very much so. Totally, absolutely, Emily. Um, Hannah says, Warehouse of Lost, Lost Friends, excellent title idea. Um, I'm, just, I'm just looking for Barbara, because Barbara was our narrator there. And I've got it, I think. Yeah, there we go. You can't see it. It's, it's, it's too small. I can read it to you, though. Um, and Barbara's saying, very good writing. It's because it's always interesting, you know, to, to hear what the narrator thinks of the, of the piece, because they see it in a slightly different way. Um, very, Barbara says, very good writing. It has strong mood, good cookies. We know what that means. It's a Latopia word. Um, that made me want to read on. But it needs to push on with the plot fairly quickly. And maybe give us more about Cleo, more characterization. Love the premise, says Barbara. I'd read this. I like this a lot in capitals. Let's see what Bella thought. Bella, far yeah, away. Sorry. Yeah. I thought it was very good. I really enjoyed mm. the writing and it was really intriguing and I want to know what happens. And it made it made, you know, my spine tingle a bit where where her spine was tingling you know the breathing over the shoulder and i thought the um writing was excellent there were a couple of moments i thought there were there was perhaps um a sort of piece of information that wasn't necessary for the uh, it's, it's always remembering that everything that's in the scene has to mean something to the scene and there were a couple of moments yeah. where there was a piece of information like at the very beginning about the leak on the roof i wasn't quite sure well maybe that is relevant later but at, at, at that point it didn't feel relevant um but i really liked it i, I yeah. thought it was excellent and i didn't like the title actually that no. I, I noticed someone did, but it just doesn't mean anything to me, and it, so it, it it didn't work in that sense. Um, but yes, yeah. I, I thought that was excellent writing, really excellent. I think that's I'd a like bit of a, I'd like yeah. to know more actually. I think yeah. I think that's a bit of a risk. I, I'm I'm very slow today. While most people says you're that was was new there, Peter. Um, and actually, it took me quite some time <laughs> to work out that the warehouse of lost friends <laughs> is actually Wolf. <laughs> so it was only because yeah. someone put it in there. That's what I uh, saw someone in the chat room had said. That. Yeah. I hadn't. Watched it all, no. so. Oh well, you and me both. You and me. I don't feel so bad anymore. Andy, I'm sure you got it straight away. No, I only got All it right. when someone just said it just then, and then I okay. quickly upgraded my mark. Um, no, again, I, I really like this. Yeah, I thought it's, it's a brilliant idea. Really, really haunting idea. Um, really original. I love the blurb. Cleo never meant to start a cult. What a fantastic opening line that is to a blurb. And with a touch, I mean, you're always going to sell me with a touch of Fight Club at the end of it as well. But, oh, yeah. but straight away, <laughs> I wrote, you know, but what is the wolf? So, so I, I think that there's some tinkering. I think you need to do there. It might be that the warehouse of, of, of you know, uh, lost is is a better title than 
than yeah. number. Um, and again, I completely agree with, with Bella. I'm, I'm not sure that the first paragraph with a hole in the roof is as, as exciting as you really want it to be. It's not. It's not exciting. Paragraph. No. No, um, no. Uh, you, you kind of caught me with this the little kind of how are you high thing. Um, and and it, the first it lived through me, and then I kind of thought, well, it is. That's kind of nice, though. It, it, it made it feel human. I remember yeah. Yeah, I used to be a massive devotee of um, Hill Street Blues, which was one oh, of those yeah. TV shows oh, where goodness, people yes. started talking over each other for yeah. the first time. It's I quite revolutionary, actually. It. And they had that uh, handheld camera all the time and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And back in the day, wow, you, now you, you're revealing your age. You're also revealing, Andy, a lot more of your physical body than you were just a few moments ago. And I'm wondering what we're going to be seeing next. <laughs> it's another no, reason to keep watching, folks. No. Uh, um, it might be a reason to turn off. Huh? Um, we, uh, I was going to ask you about how uh, uh, Kate loves your close-up. Talk, everyone's talking about you and your physique. Let's get back to the manuscript, guys. Um, there was a comment I was just wondering. Oh, it's very interesting. Oh, I've just lost it. There's a lot of action in the uh, chat room today. Um, Prairie Wind. Hello, Prairie Wind. Very good to have you here. Loved the beginning and prose is good. Blurb too long? Yeah, I think it probably is, actually. Um, What was the comment there? What was the comment there? Everyone loves Barbara's reading. Um, mm, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask both of you a thought I've had. Is this not slightly too whimsical? I mean, there is no such thing, actually. There's no industry there. There's all kinds of industries related to, you know, um, the uh, aftercare of people, I suppose, you know, the funeral business and stuff like that. But there is no actual... Is, are we sort of way off into fantasy land already? Is, is it slightly too whimsical? What do you think, Bella? I don't think so. I think it's... Um I think it's a really interesting concept. It's quite possibly something that, you know, you never know what will happen, whether this will be something that really... It may exist already, I wonder. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, Robert on YouTube says, writing someone got better as it went on. Yeah, it did, actually. I think that's right. I think Andy would agree with that. Wouldn't read on the basis of the first paragraph, but would on the basis of the first page, if that makes sense. Makes total sense to me. Let's see what the numbers are looking like. Pretty good there, is he? Pretty good, and the numbers can can change a bit over the next minute as uh, more people in the junior stream express their right to vote. Um, so you've got to talk t- uh, sixty-seven so far. Let's pick out one or two of the the key bits. I actually, tell you what, look, we're at that stage in the show now where we can actually look at the scorecard, and that will do kind of a lot of the work for us. It has done. So the things in green there that you see are currently the winners and actually yes izzy you're winning on blurb you're winning on craft and you're winning winning probably the most significant most um uh, important term category which is the commercial appeal which we refer to as bang we have two more entries let's see if you continue on your winning streak <laughs> Here we are, number four. It's from Killy, who is in the YouTube chat today. I know, it's been quite busy. Hello, Killy. Great to have you along. QR code there. This is sci-fi slash werewolf. That's a new genre to me. But it makes perfect sense, of course. Yeah, sci-fi slash werewolf. And it's called Chimera. Um, 
other people may say that differently, but I'm sticking to what I know. Hello, Killy. Good to have you here. Fantastic. You're going to get feedback. And you know what? We'd appreciate feedback too on what we're doing. You can review us. Remember that. You review us. We review you. It's only fair. This is Killy's blurb. The world is broken. Plagued by the retrovirus. Oh, my God. We're back to the, what, 90s or something. A horrifying disease that's brought humanity to its knees and transforms the infected into feral monsters. When a mission goes wrong, one man finds himself experimented on by a mysterious organisation. Twisted by the retrovirus, he emerges as something else, um, Nyalfa. His life in ruins, he takes up a new name and flees to a new country in a land torn by conflict and hate. He will find hope and something to believe in. Cascadia awaits. Good reactions there from our YouTube viewers. Let's see if we get equally good reactions. I have to say in advance, apologies for this. It's been one of those days today um, when the technical side does just work, kind of. It, have we've got so far so good fingers crossed um i'll just tell you uh, tell you a little bit about uh, killy 25 year old ocean and geoscience postgrad student living in manchester i started imagining the world of chimera over 10 years ago slowly developing it and its characters since then <clears throat> i realized that i would really like to share this world with well the world makes sense um so i stopped just thinking about it and started writing it um I, oh yes, he says, I like wolves. In that case, you're a good person to know. Um, on the technical side of things, you were going to be graced, and I use that word very respectfully, with a, with a terrific reading from Kay. We had technical problems with that, uh, with that particular reading, with that particular file. So instead of that, you're gonna have to put up with a reading from some guy. Chimera by Killy Kingsley, read by some guy. Grunting, he slammed his boot against the door. A sharp, uncomfortable crack rang as it was torn free from its hinges and clattered to the floor. Levelling the submachine gun, he stormed through, eyes flicking left and right. A stained couch, a shattered window, a burnt wall. Nothing worth noting, not now. Light peered through a doorframe off to the side and he passed on through, one hand holding the SMG out, the other raised in front of his face as he let his eyes adjust. It was a kitchen, or at least what was left of one. Brick lay scattered across the room, a thick layer of grime covering the kitchen tops, wooden cupboards and a half-rotten table. But there was a jagged hole in the wall. He lowered his hand and with a final glance across the ruins of the kitchen, he crept towards the breach, taking aim, peering for anyone, anything. Nothing. I've got to risk it. Grasping onto a broken brick still held in place, Ian Barber pulled himself up and out into the light. A smudgy orange sky greeted him. It had to be evening, or the morning. He didn't know any more. His nose itched as a thick amora worked its way in, the familiar calming smell of burning wood mixing with the noxious fumes of oil. With a snort, his head swirled round. Towers of black smoke rose high into the sky, smothering the orange of the sunlight in its embrace. Half of the city's got to be on fire now. He brought blue eyes back down to the abandoned street he now stood in, battered houses lining its flanks, windows blown out, doors booted down or hanging on their hinges and other gaping holes for their brick. 
A small crater, devoid of two whole houses, gaped in one line. Debris had been tossed across the street, some having struck the rusted husks of cars that lay haphazardly all over. But again, nothing else. Just an empty, deserted street. He hesitated for a moment. Families once lived there, going about their own lives, working, living, enjoying what they could. Lives before the retrovirus. All too used to such a sight, though, Ian snapped his eyes up and down the street. Still nothing. With that confirmation, he turned and began to jog along the pavement. He didn't have time to wait. He had to get out of the city before the ferals flooded over its walls, before they found him. A junction branched off at the end of the road with only a single car discarded across with its front crumpled just as easily as a crushed can. But as he stepped closer, something shifted beyond the windows. He shot aside, slipping into one of the houses and pressing himself against the wall. He was, wasn't taking that chance. He peered back out, heart pounding in chest as he tried to look beyond the car. There was another flicker of movement. Ian tightened his grip around the SMG. Come on, who are you? The figure stirred once more and finally rose from behind the car. Ian sighed with relief at the sight. It was a man wearing a blue hoodie and jeans, not the black combat uniforms he'd seen before. His muscles began to relax, but Ian held himself back, a sixth sense telling him to make sure this was just another civilian, and so he kept his distance. The figure dropped out of sight. Slowly, however, around from the corner of the car was something else, a red puddle spreading across the tarmac, glistening in the orange light, blood. He stiffened again. It could have been a friend or someone they'd mugged in the chaos. It would have not it would have not been the first time. Rich, hurry up! His head snapped round towards the source. Another man appeared across the street, emerging from one of the houses. Someone could be around the corner. The hooded figure, Rich, rose back up to his feet. Hang on, I haven't found a gear. I don't want someone to figure out we've killed her, the second snarled. A mugging then. Ian gritted his teeth, grip on the weapon, tightening. <laughs> So, Martin in the chat room says, uh, Rusted Hulk says, lovely. And Johnny says, yeah, I had a bowl of them for breakfast. Wow. Boom, boom. Andy, what did you think? Um, oh, I need to do some voting, don't I? You um, do. Your, your title, I think, is a little bit derivative. I expect it's been done before, so I'd be a little bit careful with that. Yeah. You've probably done before in this genre as well. Um, sci-fi in space. I mean, it's not quite sci-fi. It's quite a werewolves in space, but I'm up for it anyway. Oh um, yes. You know, your, your blurb reads like like a classic, like you know, Friday night B movie. I want to watch after a couple of beers. Um, so so why not? Quite frankly, um, several people have said that. I, I I I agree, but it also feels quite computer gamey to me as well. Actually, that, that was, you've just stolen the exact. Uh, point I was about to latch on to next, so thank you for that, Peter. Um, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> but before I get there, in your blurb, it did say and mission, and I'll be really careful. About it did, it did. Making typos like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, in your blurb, that, that's the YouTube chat room said that. So the formatting and uh, several other people are picking that up as well. Um, yeah, I thought it was generally it's well it started off really nicely written. Yeah, I did feel like I was in a video game. I think writing SMG makes it feel more like a bit it's like that's kind totally. of you know totally. back to playing doom or something it's totally, isn't, it? isn't it isn't it just um, yeah yeah but, but but the writing was quite economical well done with that uh retrovirus 
at this point, I don't know, does retrovirus sort of feels a bit retro? So Very I, I'd much be a so. Bit yeah. That. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I, my, my main, main issue was this was after a while, I felt like it was dragging a bit. I wanted him to shoot someone or get shot at. You know, we had enough kind of, you know, I'm in, I'm in the doom mode. I'm going through broken buildings. Mm. You know, I want someone to, like, like all these games, films, mm. I want someone to jump out so I can shoot them or get eaten. And um, so that, that wasn't really happening, happening quickly enough for me. Yeah, yeah. The thing about computer games is that they, they can feel very samey actually this is just comment about computer games and i got to lead on to to a question to bella actually they can they can feel quite samey i think really because um they they use the same engine actually a lot of them use you know um the same same underlying engine and so bella um just before you get specifically into this i mean i'm just curious so we're going to talk to you in any case in a moment curious about whether books based on computer games which this is not but everyone feels yeah you know, it's got that sort of that you know it's in that area do books based on computer games do they work at all well i wouldn't have thought so uh only I because of, of the reputation i mean yeah. i can't know um i mean obviously there are lots of films based on computer games like that, but yeah most of them um, are pretty crappy too actually yeah, yeah really. it's, it's sort of repetition isn't it and the lack of yeah. characterization i think that's yeah. really difficult to, yeah, to bring is, out yeah. yeah so what do you think yeah. about this well i mean i thought the writing was great i um i felt kind of i'm, I'm not a massive sci-fi reader so um mm. You know, I'm not an expert at all, but to me, the writing was excellent. It felt exactly as Andy said. I just wanted something else to happen, though. It, it yeah. was too much of the same, um, and I also wanted a little insight into the main character. That was my um, big gripe. Was I had there was yeah. nothing to connect with at all in terms of characterization, um, and I know that's not always you know exactly what you want. That you want tension, but I think tension can also be elevated when you know there's what, what's at stake. Which obviously there's a lot at stake in terms of life, but what about emotion? Yeah. And, you know, the rest of it. Yeah, we, um, yeah. So, we didn't really yeah. care very much about the the, the main character, no. did we? we weren't, weren't that invested. Um, werewolves, werewolves, are, werewolves a bit. No, I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk to Bella in general, and then I'm going to uh, control myself. Andy, um, just coming back to you finally. Um, was is this the sort of book you would normally read? I have to be honest, it's more the kind of film I would watch on yeah. a Friday night. Yeah. On a yeah. I, 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 don't, yeah. I don't think I'd want to give my, devote enough time to a book like this. I'm not saying there isn't an audience out there for it. Mm. And, and I think your question about, about that, that, that kind of move between video games and, and books, I mean, I remember reading the Pullman books, um, the, the Northern Lights, and thinking they yeah. were, they reminded me very much of the way video games, at least expansive video games, are formatted. Get the key, go to the place, find the dagger. Yeah, that's right. So I think there is a place for that, but yeah. but I think that this wasn't this wasn't really throwing up enough flags for me to get me excited enough to to read okay. the book. Okay, it's a little bit too generic. You need to be a little more original, maybe. Okay, got it very much. Let's yeah. let's have a look at the numbers. Killy, there you are. You're live. You've been very quiet recently. I hope you're okay. Uh, <laughs> you got a 54. That's not bad, actually. Not bad at all. You're dealing with, um, you know, with serious uh, critics here. Um, let's just have a look and see. I tell you what. Let's push the uh, the scorecard button because we're getting close to the end now. So let's see who's in the lead and how. 
there still, is he, actually? Still looking good there, is he, actually? Yeah. Blurb, craft, or bang. Fantastic. Before we have a look at the last submission of the day, and therefore we know who's, who's actually going to emerge this show winner, I think we should speak to Bella. Bella! Guppy Books! Now, you've been on the show quite a few times before. I think everybody pretty much knows who you are. If they don't, then allow me, please, to, to tell everyone that Bella is one of Britain's most distinguished children's publishers. <laughs> She's a hotshot at spotting fabulous new books such as... Oh, I don't know. You might have heard of The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas, perhaps. You might have heard of Jenny Downham's Before I Die. You might have heard of The Art of Being Normal by Lisa Williamson, and on and on and on. Um, a world-winning publisher, quite recently, just... <laughs> probably just before lockdown, actually, decided to branch out, start your own thing, guppy books. There's the website. Ten books a year, is that about it, Bella? Ten books a year? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, the th interesting thing is, and I'm going to um, just push another button for a moment. The interesting thing is, actually, everyone, you know, if people think well, only, only 10 books a year, well, well, other publishers put 100 books, big publishers, 500 or something like that. But actually, the secret is, if you've got a publisher who's putting out 100 books, probably only 10 of those are really going to get much attention. Mm -hmm. Isn't that right? That's so right. Would, you, would I be correct in saying that you may only put out 8 or 10 books a year, but each one of them gets lots of love and attention? That's right. And um, yeah. we have, yes, they're, they're all treated the same. And also, they're not just, it's not just the marketing when you put them out for that one month or maybe two months, but yeah. we try and, you know, sustain it so that we're, you know, really creating a good, strong backlist title that people will continue to buy. And that's yeah. really important as well. I think often they, um, when you have a lot of books, it's throwing a lot of things at a wall and seeing what sticks. Whereas <laughs> we uh, choose so carefully. And so we make sure we choose the very, very best. And that's we put all that in there. That's an absolute tribute to you and, and your, your ability to spot books what do stick. What's sticking at the moment? Let's have a look at, um, let's have a look at something you've got uh, out at the moment. Maggie Blue in the Dark World. What a knockout cover. I've fallen in love with that cover. I don't know anything about the book at all, but I just love that cover. It's gorgeous. Tell us about it. So this is a um, it's a debut novelist called Anna Goodall, and she's written mm. this incredible, quite upper middle grade book. It's definitely sort of for ten to fourteen year olds, probably and adults, and it is just wonderful. It has this beautiful cover by Sandra Diekman, who's an incredible artist. Oh, it's lovely, um, and it's a fantasy. It's a, a fantasy, uh, a magical fantasy book, but it's based very much in our world and mm. going into a parallel world. But it also deals really beautifully with mental health issues, which I oh, think really? we were talking about earlier. So yeah, not, I mean. It's, yeah. it's, it's about suicide, yeah. but it's certainly about um, coping. It's the, a, a girl coping with her mother's mental health issues, but yeah. in this, you know, beautiful fantasy. Uh, uh, so it's very lightly done. Um, That's fantastic. And pub mm -hmm. dates? Uh, well, it's out in hardback at the moment, but the paperback comes out in October. So we're looking forward to that. And people in the genius room are already saying what, uh, how, how much they love that cover. Uh, Vagabond Heart says, I would. Die happy to be one of Bella's ten books a year. Isn't that <laughs> well, wonderful? That's lovely, isn't that wonderful? That's lovely to hear. Yeah, really is. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Small but perfectly formed. Uh, terrific. I, I mean, it's such a thrill to have you on the show, as always. But we have one more job for you to do before we can finally let you go, and that is look at our fifth submission of the day. And here we go. This is from Rob, who I think is also live with us. Yeah, in fact, it was just I didn't read that. It went so way so fast. Never mind. Um, Hello, Rob. Good to have you with us. There's a QR code there, too. 
Oh, on the subject of feedback, I've submitted a pop-up submission in the long ago, and the feedback was incredibly helpful. <gasps> Phew, I didn't know what was coming then. <laughs> Might have been awful. <laughs> the feedback was simply dreadful. It stopped me writing. Um, in the very big edit, I've been doing that's great. Good to know. Thank you, Robert. This is called The Order of the Lager. <coughs> and it's urban fantasy satire. Let me read you Rob's blurb. On the Isle of Gori, heroes are knights in shining armour. Or they're bodybuilders with tank tops and machine guns. They're not unemployed autistic half-goblins like Morgan. So, she spends her adulthood drinking her depression away, waiting for her chance to prove herself. And she finds it in an unlikely source. Chip, agent in training at the Elven Bureau of Apocalypse Prevention. I'm looking for an acronym there. Um, who can't convince her bosses to take an impending demonic invasion seriously and must turn to Morgan for help. Love the title, says Martin on YouTube. Good, thank you, Martin. Uh, let's have a look at you, Rob. Um, my name is not Robert Roper. Right. Okay, well, that clear. Well, you know what your name is. It's Rob. Uh, though my real name is too easy to misspell. Storytelling has always been my passion. I've worked in film, TV, and games, though books are my first love. I currently work... They are, and they're kind of grown up, aren't they? Even though they may be, you know, children my age. They're still... It's a grown-up medium, really. Use your imagination more. Um, I currently work as a carer for young adults with learning disabilities, addictions, and mental health conditions. And it's this work that made me feel that the order of the lager is a story needs telling. When I'm not writing, I'm usually practicing MMA, BBJ. BBJ. BJ... Uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, BJJ, isn't it? It's BJJ, not BBJ, and Muay Thai kickboxing. Oh, and reading, of course. Weirdest alcohol and reading-related fact about me, I was almost kidnapped in a bookshop outside a whiskey distillery. It's a funny story that I didn't have room for in the book. <laughs> well, yeah, someone's laughing away. Uh, <laughs> um, I think that uh, you sound perfectly ready, willing, and indeed desperate for a fabulous reading that I know is going to be from Bev. Order of the Lager by Rob Roper Morgan could tell what Damien was thinking. It was in the way he stood behind his bar like it was a fortress, the way his portly frame shuffled into a defensive stance the way his wide eyes darted between the sea of unhappy patrons behind her and the broadsword hanging on the wall behind him. She wondered if she was fast enough to leap across the bar and grab it before he did something foolish. The atmosphere in the Apple and Vine Inn was as dreadful as the storm outside. There was no idle chatter to muffle the rumble of thunder or the clicking of raindrops. No movement to break up the heavy, pervading shadows or disturb the few candles scattered about the room. No beaming smiles or friendly faces to break the monotonous scenery of the wooden room. There were just the three dozen or so patrons, diverse in race, age and gender. They were, however, uniform in their mood. There were multiple parties of humans done with the day's work, deathly silent. A few green goblins were scattered amongst them. On one table, Two minotaurs sat by each other, the game of cards in front of them long forgotten. Each patron was so different, but they still looked the same, all hunched over their drinks like praying mantises, 
all glaring holes into Damien as he stood behind his bar, all waiting for an excuse to surge forward and pull him limb from limb. Morgan decided to act before they could. We're all out of patience, Damien, she said. She then picked up the empty flagon in front of her and clapped it down on the bar. There were slight shuffles and flinches behind her. She needn't look. She could almost feel the heat on her back as every beady eye snapped to her. But at least they were off of Damien. She knew, unlike him, she could handle the trouble. Damien's eyes swiveled to Morgan, but he was unwilling to meet her gaze. He first looked to her fist, which she consciously unclenched. Then briefly it went to the sword. Finally, there was a deep intake of breath and his eyes met hers. I'm doing exactly what the Wi-Fi man told me to do. Morgan snorted incredulously. Bullshit. You've just been turning it off and on again for half an hour. They must have told you more than that. Well, Morgan, what else am I supposed to do? Damien whined, throwing his arms up. His attention then extended to the other grumbling patrons, as did his finger in a great accusing point. Besides, why are you lot using the internet in a pub anyway? You're supposed to get drunk and be miserable in silence like normal people. Don't you bloody tell me how to be drunk and miserable. I could get classes on the subject, Morgan shouted back. Her sympathy for Damien was fast draining and so she decided to actively not care if a fight broke out or not. She thought, if anything, a good scrap might vent her frustration. She noticed Damien looking back to her empty flagon and waggled it. Speaking of, another ale? Actually, I'll have a whiskey now, please, Morgan said. Something spicy enough to warm me up and bad enough to pickle my liver. With that, she roughly shoved the flagon across the counter, and her attention went back to the phone lying between her elbows. The light glared at her like a torch, irritating her eyes just a little. It was a simple screen, mostly white with the word Hero Watch sat at the top of the screen in authoritative blue writing, and beneath that was an image of a young woman wrestling several bears at once. She was half human, half goblin, with distinctive green skin and eyes, wild orange hair, pointed ears and a beaming smile. Below the pictures were statistics that would be almost meaningless to the outside observer. Adventures, zero. Fights, 38. Princess status, questionable. So on and so forth. It was a woman Morgan once knew and didn't know any more. Specifically, it was Morgan herself, five years ago. Let's go straight to the genius room. Uh, RK Caps says strong writing. Johnny says sorry, I don't know why, but he's apologising. <laughs> he's done something dreadfully wrong. And he says needs a good edit to um, up the pace and keep it satirical. Um, keep the satirical that the blurb is and um, title suggested. It's a good title, isn't it? Um, Eva says nice, no, I see what satire. Kate says would benefit from a bit, a bit of word pruning. Several people are saying that. Galadriel, there are some engaging elements. Um, it's reading better than what I was expecting. The blurb hadn't grabbed me. And Annie says, like this, the voice in the blurb is translated on the pages, and then she changes like to love, indeed. Andy. Um, I loved your Wi-Fi gag. I think that's great. Um, well, my main issue is that you just took too long getting there. But, um, mm. but it, made, it made me laugh. And, and also, your, your blurb, the opening couple of sentences of your blurb made me laugh as well. Um, I'm not sure about the order of the lager. I'd be tempted just to make it the order of lager, but maybe maybe that's not as funny. I don't know. Um, 
but generally uh-huh. I thought I mean, I'm not a Terry Pratchett fan. I was wondering when someone was going to say Pratchett. (laughs) (laughs) These are big shoes to fill, aren't they, actually? Many people have tried. By the end of your blurb, I was definitely thinking this was quite Um, uh, Pratchett-esque. Your beginning, I just, at first I thought that there's no opening in, there's no bang in this opening. We've got, we've got a barman who's on edge and then lots of set dressing but but again then you've got then you've got the the wi-fi gagging and and you know in, in all fairness sometimes you need that space to build a gag so maybe yeah. that actually works or the yeah. gag to work so maybe that's unfair of me to criticize yeah. it but i like that very much and you'll talk about uh, uh being drunk and miserable like normal people in a bar <laughs> that was good and then you're kind of off and running with this kind of like real life in a fantasy world yeah. kind of stuff you know which which let's face it has legs um yeah. i mean yeah, there's, there's, there's the um the guy who does the simpsons has got that disenchanted on on netflix isn't he yeah? oh, that's right yeah, i haven't seen that i haven't seen just kind of plowing yeah. that that same furrow yeah. so um yeah. so yeah so why not hmm. okay. i like there's a market for it Fair enough. Let's just look at the numbers. You uh, six is across the board, apart from the craft, which you really like. You, you, you think writing is pretty hot. Uh, it's not the most original area to be working in. And Bella, I mean, you know, the ghost of Terry is still very much there, looming over one's shoulders. <laughs> it you was, know. but I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was really good. I, it's um, full of yeah, fun, and I like the way it was positioned. I liked. I could really see. It, it felt like that Star Wars. Um, scene in the pub yeah. you know you, but nicely put together um so it wasn't just a description of them all sitting there it was well put together but i did think it went on a bit at the beginning you could have you know cut down you know one yeah. example doesn't have to be three examples but yeah. um otherwise i i liked it I, I thought it was fun and funny and i was quite intrigued by where it was going to go yeah. um so yeah i was pleasantly surprised actually because it's not my normal um Good, excellent. Well, we've, we've, yeah, um, we've succeeded in broadening your already voluminous reading repertoire, which is no small achievement. I feel, I feel pop-ups have succeeded in there. Let's look at the, the numbers. Uh, Rob, you, you're looking at 61 at the moment. That could change because probably not everyone has actually voted yet in the genius room. If you haven't, then hurry up and do it, please, because we are about to terminate everything, and we do need to know, uh, know the final numbers. Um, bit tropey says says RK caps about a pub opening indeed, which is really what Bella was referring to there. Um, Vagabond says, yeah, Baron Pratchett was a god, absolutely. Shall we look and see how the numbers finally look, guys? We got there. We got there. I I wasn't sure the tech was going to support us today, but it did. All right, so Rob, yeah, sixty-one, not bad. Keeley, 54. Izzy, 67. Edward, 56. And our first mission on I, Brendan, 51. And that means that you, Izzy, actually. Yes. Well done, Izzy. Hope you're with us today. I hope you've got that lovely warm glow. Our satisfaction knowing that you're a pop-up winner. Congratulations. Let's just see who that's from. It's not from Izzy. Never mind. <laughs> but thank you, Robert, indeed. Uh, don't forget to leave us um, uh, a comment, like, 
all the rest of those things that all the YouTube people ask you to do all the time. It's irritating, but it helps. It actually helps us uh, to get discovered on YouTube. And thank you very much, Killy, too. I hope it's useful to everybody. We do aim to be useful, actually. Um, and we do aim to be back next Sunday. I want to say thank you so much to the fabulous Bella, Bella Pearson Guppy Books, the fabulous Andy, you can see him on television, but not as intimately as here, uh, doing his stuff on the news. And, of course, Emily, Rachel and Kate, who really power things behind the scenes, as do our wonderful narrators. And most importantly of all, of course, you our writers and readers without whom it would not be possible but it is and we hope to see you same time next sunday take care all of the world's a stage welcome to the show i glance at you you smile at me